I'm Dr. Gene Hansen. For more than 25 years, I've been answering your financial questions on Atlanta's longest-running and most respected money show on radio. This is Money Talks, providing honest, straightforward answers to your financial questions. This broadcast of Money Talks originally aired Saturday, October 10th, 2020. The only thing we have to fear... The economic health of this nation has been... ...for essential economic freedoms. The excessive decline... Greed. ...in the dollar... ...it's a late rally on Wall Street... ...too big to fail... ...growing the economy... ...growing the economy... It's amazing what's been going on with the economy. Welcome. Welcome. This is Monitor. Monitor. Good morning. You're listening to Money Talks, Atlanta's longest-running, most respected money show on radio. I'm your host this weekend, Nick Antonucci, joined today by my fellow research analyst, Jacob Keene. Hello. What's up, Jacob? Hello. (laughs) And Casey Smith. And Jacob, let me throw the CFA in there, Charter Financial Analyst, Casey Smith, CFP from the Planning and Implementation Department. And, you know, guys, we can't start the show without, you know, keeping in true uh, Troy fashion. As you can tell, he's not here this weekend. So i got to say, what up, fam? I was about it, to say, it pains me to say that, I'll be in. honest. But, you know, <laughs> Kelly Lynn, our producer, made me say it. So we're going to keep this show as Troy-like as possible. We've got an all-millennial all show today. I think we do. Troy would be proud. Yeah, except we're millennials and we don't say that. So I don't, I don't know. That's just saying Troy. <laughs> yeah, that's for the Zoomers. The Zoomers, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Well, guys, it's been an an exciting last week to say the least. You know, it kind of things started picking up with volatility Friday with the news that President Trump had, in in fact, uh, tested positive for COVID nineteen. You know, markets sold off a bit on that news, and um, seems like by Monday everything was good to go again, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, he got the drug cocktail. He's out back in the Oval. Yeah. He he did his. A cute little presser where he said he, he was everyone's favorite president. Yeah. I enjoyed that. that. And um, and now it's just like that one. It seemed like uh, in in the time of, of fear that something was going to happen to the president, we we're all going to come together and get a some sort of additional stimulus done, whether you think it's necessary or not. It seemed like that was going to happen. And here we are on uh, time of this recording Thursday afternoon. And it seems we're just as far apart as we've ever been in terms of getting a, a deal done. Uh, Pelosi says she's not willing to uh, negotiate a, quote, skinny deal. $1.6 trillion. That's skinny now. Yeah, yeah. That's not a big deal anymore. Um, yeah, that's so 2008. And you have, G- yeah, you have GOP senators now that say uh, – McC- uh, Mitch McConnell came out and said GOP senators are now saying that the majority of them don't even think additional stimulus is needed, which I could very, very well side with that. Nonetheless – we seem further apart than we've ever been. Yeah, it's a situation where it, it's almost, as we've seen several times in recent memory, bad news is almost good news for the market because the worst news that you get seems more likely that a stimulus deal might happen. Uh, you know, obviously they're very far apart, the left and the right, in terms yeah. of whether they want to pass and what they want to pass. It's daily headline driven. Yeah. Well, it, it's 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 wild action. Recently, it because it's back and forth on stimulus, which it still feels like they're very far apart because I, I feel like the the piece that they can't even get close on is the state and local funding. Absolutely. Yeah. And and if you look at, you know, where that local funding is going to go largely, you think of the urban areas of America are largely one political party. So 
it's sort of a non-starter for Republicans, I feel like, to basically hand over hundreds of billions of dollars to these <laughs> cities. Well, especially Trump, especially the way Trump's talked about the Chicago's and Seattle's of the world. I don't think he's really that willing to sign off on no, a bill that hands over hundreds of billions. So I feel like that's sort of, I mean, we're only a few weeks away from the election at this point. It's it, and, what and, At this point, what... I don't think the deal gets done. No, I don't see how it gets yeah. done at this juncture. I mean, it's so close to the election. The market is still, you know, it's up. It's been up. Uh, yeah, if you want to if you want to look at the indicator, I know for those of you who listen regularly, Troy talks about a indicator of a three three month performance heading, uh, leading up to the election, performance of the S&P 500. If it's positive, it tends to indicate the party in control will remain in control, i.e. President Trump gets reelected. After this week, uh, you know, again, this is recording Thursday, late Thursday afternoon. The market's about to be closed, but we're up more than four and a half percent, almost five percent on the S&P 500 since August the 3rd. So, I mean, that if you 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 believe that 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 indicator, then I got another one for you. Yeah. The winner of the Colts Colts, Bears. Yep. I saw that one, too. Yeah. So Colts won. Trump's going to win. I mean, it's I basically... Did I'm glad you brought, brought that up. That might be more reliable. I don't know. Well, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> see how far back it goes. Uh, I know the last three elections, though. I think what is interesting, you know, I don't like to prognosticate about the election, but I think what is interesting is even though Trump is trailing in the polls right now, mm-hmm. he's got more... He's polling better than he was against Hillary. Yeah. And he beat her. And we so, all know how that turned out. Well... Well, of course, see and, what happens. And can, I mean, there's a month to go before the election, and I mean, so much could happen in a month. It seems like look that's how much happens in a week. I know. It's, it's there's uh, no telling. And and it's kind of it's a good lead in there, KC. What I was going to get to is you know you have client questions come in, and what does you know a Biden uh, win mean for the markets? You know, for my financial future, or or the opposite, was a blue wave mean yeah. for me? It's so hard. It's so difficult to there's no flip a to coin. forecast. I mean, yeah, there's no telling. And we do have clients that are wanting to, you know, look at exiting the market even now ahead of the election, which, you know, we don't suggest trying to time your investment decisions around the election, because, first of all, let's just say Biden wins and you think that that's going to be detrimental to the market. Well, I would think he would also need control of the the House and the Senate to be able to make any meaningful changes. Otherwise, you're going to have gridlock, which we pretty much have now. Exactly. And how much is it actually going to get done in that situation? So That would be quite the sweep to get 50 seats in the Senate. Yeah. Because you'd have Kamala as the deciding vote as VP. But, yeah, that that would take... I mean, it could it could definitely happen. I'm not saying that it can't can't happen, but... And I think the one know, thing... In fact, you're getting plenty of research reports out from the big banks this week talking about a blue wave... Yeah, like I what think that means it's it's they're bullish. I yeah. think the one thing, yeah, I think the one thing that we can say is like forecasting equity prices is always difficult in the near term. We can speak to valuations; valuations are elevated. Yep. If you start talking about the um, corporate earnings tax that will rise under Biden, you can forecast forward next year there will be a drop in earnings. S and P five hundred earnings in the low to mid double digits, um, but. We would also expect in this sweep scenario that you would get a lot of fiscal stimulus. And so sort of the way that we're looking at that is if there is a Democratic sweep, our pa- our rate path and inflation path is going to be much higher because a lot of the reports that we're seeing is the potential for, you know, 
across infrastructure and healthcare and you know Massive. a number of programs green new deal of course not the actual green new deal but you know some form of renewable energy uh fiscal stimulus we're talking probably 7 trillion over the next 4 years which you start injecting that amount of money consistently you're going to get higher inflation and higher rates. Absolutely. I don't see how you don't. And when you, especially when you consider how much stimulus we've already had this year and, and the prospects of $2.2 trillion or $1.6 trillion, whatever it may end up being, we've already done more stimulus than we did during the financial crisis. Yeah. And right. we're talking about throwing another, you know, one and a half, two trillion dollars on top of that when you guys are financial analysts if if we don't get inflation after all of this stimulus then we can just take everything that we've learned and throw it in, out the window well economics i, I don't think that I, I don't think that's entirely fair because there's two there's two factors in all of this it's like the money supply itself and then the uh speed of exchange yeah, and the money supply so, like, inflation is force. Mass is how much money you have. Acceleration is the velocity of money. We continue to see the velocity of money fall. Right. I think a lot of the stimulus that we saw, absent what was sort of supportive to consumers, the $1,200, you know, a lot of that has not really flown through the economy yet. But if you think about a lot of the more socially oriented programs, I think you do get an uptick in the velocity of money. Yeah. Well, here's what I know, guys. In 10 years, whoever we elect in November will not be the president anymore. Uh, so, you know, we operate under the 10-year rule here at Hensler, and, and so that's why, from an equity standpoint, don't go making any rash decisions about, you know, selling out of equities or changing your equity allocation. It should be based on your financial plan. Uh, Agreed. And, you know, no, regardless of what the outcome of the election is, market might be short-term influenced one way or another. In the long run, especially with interest rates where they are now, I don't see how equities don't outperform any other asset class. I mean, maybe real estate, you throw that in there. but Yeah, it, it, perfect example of when you're short-term reactionary, think about people calling you at the bottom of the market back in, in March, right? Yeah, it happened. During the pandemic. Well, year-to-date, we're now up more than 8% in the S&P 500 total return basis. Trailing 12 months, or the last 12 months, 21.38%. 2% in the last five days. The mark, you know... Don't make these knee-jerk reactions. Right. Follow your financial plan, as Casey said. Absolutely, it, it all it, everything comes back to the plan at the end of the day. And you know, we can look over. Troy likes to talk about forecasting uh, in the sense of it, it's it's impossible to predict what's going to happen tomorrow or next week. But if you look at longer-term trends, you can. It's a lot easier to kind of get a feel for where things might be in ten years from now than it is. You know, next yeah. year, next week. And we've had great returns this past decade. We don't expect to have similar returns the next decade. But if you start thinking, okay, average is 10%. We've had a great run here. Maybe we have 6% returns over the next 10 years. That's still going to destroy what you're getting in bonds. Absolutely, Absolutely, Jacob. Good point. Well, guys, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to hit the dog of the week and talk about a financial uh, situation. You're listening to Money Talks. We'll be right back. has something great to come back with with the dog of the week everyone gets excited it's why do you sound so fun. sad it's hard to fill in for him jacob you know 
You fake it till you make it, my man. <laughs> all right. Well, this week it's a fly of the week. Okay. And I'm sure we all know where I'm headed if you've turned on the TV this morning. Last night we had the vice, pre- the first vice presidential debate. The fr- only the only vice presidential debate? Or is, is, is there just one? I don't even know. It was it was so much less entertaining than the presidential debate. It so. was. Um, I don't know what you really got out of it. There are questions that went unanswered on both sides. But the highlight for many was uh, Flygate, as I've seen it called, um, the fly on Mike Pence's head. Oh, I thought you were going to say his fly was down. <laughs> oh, no. that I was like, they that, were seated. Uh, they, they were, were seated. seated yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. That's amazing. That would have been even better. But there was a fly on Mike Pence's head for two minutes and three, someone timed it, two minutes and three seconds. And it became the biggest talking point of the debate. I mean, and it was pretty funny. It's sitting there. I mean, how long do you see, how often do you see a fly for two minutes in the same spot? Yeah. Well, he's pretty stationary, dude. He is. Yeah, he's got good energy. Speculation that it was caught in his hair, uh, maybe some hairspray. Who knows, really? It's feeding on the pomade. Might have been. It's probably like a vegan, uh, organic pomade. Knowing my pen, probably not. It's probably like (laughs) Crisco. Yeah, exactly. Well, but I, I saw, you know, if you get on Twitter or anything, you can always find some great content there. But, you know, speculation, it might have been a, a Chinese drone that landed on his head. Yeah, that's right. probably. It could have been a mind control device. <laughs> it might have been. At times, it, it, he is very robotic, so uh, yeah, it might have been under the influence of the fly. Right, right, right. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I'm going to have to check that I out. I, uh, I can't believe you didn't see it. I, I, I didn't notice it really all that much, but now that you mention it, I do recall seeing... Oh, fly. yeah, so, I you know, the contrast with the hair was just, it was out there to be seen. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's good that's stuff. That's my fly of the week, guys. <laughs> change George gears. would be proud. Change gears again for a second. So where we left off, you know, we were talking about it's it's hard to predict what might come next uh, in the markets resulting from the election. Also talked about stimulus. And, Jacob, you had a great point. Typically, we get into some of the economic data, and I think it's a good point to do that because, a lot of the economic data you're seeing out right now doesn't suggest a need for additional stimulus, certainly not to the extent that the numbers we're talking about. Right, right. Yeah, I think, well, there's a lot of moving parts here. I think the big story is if you look at, you know, uh, middle to high wage earners, there hasn't been that much disruption. It's it's mostly on the lower wage earner side as far as the labor market goes. Right. And if you look at, I mean, we got composite PMIs this week. We got ISM non-manufacturing. Business activity, of course, we always have to keep in mind that this is a relative measure, and we hit, you know, very depressed lows. But, I mean, we're we're continuing to improve on that front. We had the non-manufacturing P- PMI at 57.8. That was up from 56.9. It's a bit mixed, but if you look at activity and new orders, both in the 60s, uh, employment is finally positive, which there's a sort of a mixed story there, uh, which we can get to. Inventories are improving. They're still somewhat negative. Um, And also, we've seen some price pressures for businesses. But all in all, the big takeaway is like businesses continue to increase activity and catch up. And they seem very optimistic. It's surprising to me, mostly optimistic about business conditions and the economy, when you consider how much uncertainty there is right now. Yeah, there's two people that come out with PMIs. There's ISM and there's Market. Market, Market's report was a little bit more mixed, and there were 
businesses that were citing election uncertainty. So mm-hmm. that is an aspect. And they were also citing, you know, uh, a lack of stimulus as a potential headwind. Um, but that was well, interesting. Well, you are starting to sp- – when, when we talk about stimulus, especially, you know, the, the $1,200 that everyone was given um, back in April, whenever that was, you're starting – that money is essentially gone at this point. The consumer has spent that. You saw just this week a report on consumer credit that, that showed – you're starting to see concerns on, at least in my opinion, that consumption is starting to slow again. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, consumer credit pretty much indicates that the savings rate has increased more or less because they're deleveraging. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, on one hand, you think about that, oh, the consumer's deleveraging. That's good, right? But what drives consumption? We want to see yeah. some level of credit Yeah, expansion. and we've, we've seen consumer sentiment stay pretty strong. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the conference board, consumer confidence – that continues to weaken. So it's sort of two different sort of aspects of the consumer. Um, but consumer is improving on many fronts, but there still is some, you know, uncertainty, same topics as businesses. And like I mentioned with employment, uh, Nick, we have businesses increasing their activity. Mm-hmm. But if you look at job openings, job openings actually fell for the first time since I think it was February, Yep, February or March of this year. So what we're sort of seeing is is perhaps we're taking a pause here in the recovery. I mean, if you looked at job openings, it was entirely indicative of a V-shaped recovery. The problem is entering this month, it's starting to look like job openings are falling. We still have two unemployed people per job opening. Um, so if we see sort of a reduction in hiring in, in, in that sense, it may prolong the recovery and it may take longer. So sort of getting the full view here too. We also see if you look at claims, right? If you look at initial claims, we're still pacing in the 800,000s. Yeah, it's 840,000 this week um, compared to an upwardly revised 849 the previous week. And this is the sixth consecutive week with claims stuck at the 800,000 level. Um, you also have more than 464,000 people that applied for help from the Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Program, which is basically after your your state benefits run out, you can get an additional, I think, 13 weeks of federal unemployment. And you're seeing those numbers rise. So people have been out of work for an extended amount of time. I mean, and, that, and look, guys, the, the economy has not opened up again fully. I mean, we're still in a situation where most of the service sector and the, the leisure sector is, is not operating at full capacity or anywhere close to it you know restaurants bars hotels travel industry all of that stuff is is really muted and we've probably gotten to a point where we're most of the jobs that are going to be filled in the short term are filled yeah i I, yeah i think that's i think that's that's true i think the the structural concern is that some of the businesses that you're talking about might not reopen or right. haven't reopened. Completely. I think it's, um, it's, it's that. And, you know, employment is my biggest concern. I would say largely the data lately has been pretty optimistic, but employment is still a big concern for me. You look at unemployment still at what's are we still at 7.9. Yeah. And I think that's a bit report. deceiving when you look at some of like the 1099 employees and stuff that are still out of work. Sure. They can't claim unemployment or yeah. even small business owners that, employed themselves that might be out of work. And if you look at the headlines, you're seeing big companies announce more and more layoffs now, which is, we've been mentioning that for a couple of months now, but that's starting to become a bit more concerning for me. And and Casey, you know, you talk about the restaurants and all, what, what, most of them are open for outdoor dining in the Northeast. 
It's about to be winter. What happens? Yeah, I mean, what I know New York and has kind of tried to uh, to to put some incentives in place or, or even uh, allow the restaurants to continue to operate outdoors. You know, it, it, they're kind of out and spilling out into the streets almost in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what does that do when it, when it gets too cold? Uh, to for people to want to eat outdoors, I mean, I, I just I think that's going to be problematic for that industry. I do too, and you know the the assumption is that well that won't happen if everything opens opens back up. You can dine, you know, even if it's limited capacity indoors. But California, New York, that does, we don't, I don't think we're anywhere close to that being reality. No, not I mean not unless there's you know a vaccine that is effective. And I guess Fauci said <laughs> don't expect that until this time next year maybe. Our vaccine might be in place, but it won't be widely distributed. Yeah. Well, there's, there is actually some slightly offsetting forces to that if you look at the housing market, though. Yeah, that's sure. true. I mean, a Which lot has of, been a lot of gangbusters. Gangbusters, yeah. for sure. Gangbusters, for sure. One of the things that uh, I like to track, guys, be, because actually it's, it's not been perfect, um, but it's been pretty accurate over the course of time if you look at the – uh, past handful of cycles, past six or seven cycles, if you use the leading economic index, which is a blend of, I think it's seven different uh, economic indicators, if that is above zero, then you can be confident that we are back in an economic expansion. Mm-hmm. That We reached a low of probably negative seven, roughly. We're still at negative 4.7 on the year over year wow. on that. So before we can be confident that we can say, okay, we know it's a V, we're back to growth, you know, because here we sit today, we saw Q, th- we, we saw uh, the the quarterly GDP report, which was down over 30%. To We're forecasting growth forward, but we need to sort of see it first to be confident, like we've turned the corner. Yeah, uh, it's, you know, still. And, and one thing to note is for the first time in history, Equity S&P 500 returns have been inversely correlated with GDP. Yeah. For the first time in history. You have a the market's of 30 up. something percent <laughs> and the market is now up. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's crazy. And, and the, the level of uncertainty that we have right now, it continues to it continues to shock me that, you know, uncertainty is risk and, and typically means, you know, volatility in the markets and potentially lower markets. And we're still higher. So, yeah. Well, we'll take another break right here. You listen to Money Talks. When we come back, we'll dig into our financial situation. covering some good topics guys what's going on in the economy financial markets um, we'll get into some financial planning right now but we but before we do that if you need any personal help you can call reach us at 770-429-9166 whether that's investment related questions financial planning um, we kind of tax we kind of run the gamut here so any questions you might have reach Fantasy out to us football roster advice yeah, extension that. for that one is, <laughs> I guess I shouldn't throw it out there. No, it's okay. <laughs> um, reach out to us. You can uh, call us or email us at drgene, D-R-G-E-N-E, at hensler.com. That's H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R.com. 
and uh, we'll be happy to put you in touch with an expert that can answer your questions and kind of help guide you along the way. All right, guys, um, the financial situation for this week is Paul and Nancy earn more than $400,000 a year. That $400,000 sounds familiar from the debate talks, but so they're paying particular attention to the election as this may bring some significant tax changes their way. What can they do now to prepare for potential changes next year? Casey, this obviously is going to fall into a tax-related question or more so financial planning, so we'll kind of let you take the lead here. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's it's a little too early to make any actual changes to anything based on the potential election results because we obviously don't know who's going to win and there will be very different outcomes if it's, you know, a blue wave versus a kind of a split between the Senate and the White House or uh, President Trump. And, and, and will people have time to make adjustments after the election? Yeah, absolutely. I yeah. mean, the election's November 3rd. Yeah, and you don't just pass any don't, sort of sort of legislative he, he's, change. He's not, he's not in the office <laughs> till January, he's right? He's not in the office till January, okay. and even then... Uncontested, you, know, <laughs> yeah, you assume. Right. I, well, hopefully somebody's in the office by yeah. January. Right. We'll see. Um, anyway, th- there's definitely some things to consider. That $400,000 number is significant, at least under Biden's proposed plan, which obviously is the level at which, and he hasn't made it clear whether this applies to single filers or married filing joint, but that kind of is the, the level at which the top bracket would go to 396 Um Currently it's 37 is the top bracket, but it's at a, at a higher level of income than that. Um, you know, Aside from the change in tax brackets, which is is a change and it's a significant change, um, you know, Jacob mentioned earlier the corporate tax rate. That's another factor that would impact, you know, the market potentially with the earnings of corporations. From a personal level, you know, it doesn't sound like that big of a deal. You go from a 37% bracket to a 39.6% bracket. But the, the bigger issue for those high income earners is really the lack of deductions that's going to be available to you at that point. Um, you know, they're getting rid of a lot of different deductions potentially if, if Biden was to be elected. So one of the strategies that would be in play potentially would be to try to kind of maximize your income and maximize your deductions to the extent that you can this year, which is sort of pull it all forward as much as you can. Yeah. It's a, it's a, you know, a push pull for lack of a better term that that's sort of unusual because normally, you know, if if you expect tax rates are going to go up then you would probably want to, you know, defer your or take as much income as you can now uh, and, and maybe push your deductions out so that you can kind of um, reduce your future income. Sure. If you think tax rates are going to go down, you would do the opposite. You would tr- try to, um, you know, defer your income and, and pull your deductions forward into current year. With this, you almost want to do it as much as you can now uh, or this year, which there is there's still going to be almost two months left in the year after the election to make these changes, but you know, things like Roth conversions, which has already been a popular topic. I think it was talked about last week on the show. Um, that might be an option to go ahead and, and take some money out of your tax deferred accounts, put it into a Roth, pay the taxes today. Um, you know, taking, uh, going ahead and, and realizing some capital gains. We're going to talk a little bit later in the show about yeah, rebalancing on that note too, you know, in, in our write up here, it talks about selling positions who current, whose current value is below the purchase price to realize the loss, essentially tax loss harvesting to yeah. offset some of those gains, but just quick thinking and, and, and help me think through this. But to me, it's like, if you have those losses, I'd rather carry them forward into the next year. If I thought my tax rate was going to be higher. 
yeah, to try and offset potential gains they might have next year. Well, and again, it's, it's I, sort you of you don't know unknown. Yeah. Who, who knows what's going to happen? I mean, um, you know, the other Biden proposal on the table is potentially bringing capital gains rates up to ordinary income rates for those high income earners. That four hundred thousand dollar mark seems to be the the number they're using for that sure. as well. Um, and that which, all has implications in financial markets. So you think about it. If I have a bunch of gains, right, and I know that next year or you know, let's just say in 2021, I find out, you know, that next year or later this year, my my capital gains rate is going to go up. I might this year decide I'm going to go ahead and take those gains, but yeah. that's going to put selling pressure on a bunch on, on the market. You know, if I'm trying to Absolutely. realize those well, gains. And I, th- I kind of think that might be some of the, the impetus behind clients or, or even other uh, advisors, you know, thinking maybe you go ahead and, and take some gains now uh, before the election, just yeah. in the case that it happens. We don't necessarily recommend that because we're not we're not basing our investment decisions on the election by any means, uh, nor are we invas- basing our investment decisions on tax implications. You don't want the tax tail to wag the investment dog. However, it does make sense and, and could put some, some selling pressure on the market if everyone is of that same mindset, if Biden gets elected. I think it's also important that the, the Democrats would have to take the Senate as well and maintain the House, obviously, so that they have – I mean, that that's really where you're going to see the most um, change that could be in, in Right. Well, we, we would also only recommend that for money that you would need in the near term. Because Absolutely. Go otherwise, back to the 10-year rule. you have opportunity costs. You could have made money with that money. It's, sure. I mean, Correct. But it, but it does go to the, to the point of, you know, a year-end tax strategy just in general – or not tax strategy, investment, financial planning, whatever you want to call it, rebalance your portfolio. I mean, if, if you want to take some gains now, you know, if you've got growth stocks that have just done really well this year and uh, it's a great time to take some of those gains off the table, maybe reinvest that into some value stocks where we've seen that gap widen uh, significantly between growth and value, kind of rebalance things so that if there is a, a – uh, a shift there, and yeah, if, if and value the starts to value and growth to starts to perform better. I mean, you would expect if mean reversion exists, which you know, I think it, there's something to that. Yeah. This this gap between growth and value is going to narrow, and so that's going to that means one of two things is going to happen: either growth is going to come pull back some, value is going to increase some, or some combination. And I haven't looked. I mean. I don't know if you've looked in like the last week or so, but if you just get a feel for markets right now, I, I start to get the feeling that you're you're seeing that happen. I guess you could go back to the, the September 20th peak or whenever it was on a lot of those tech stocks, your Amazons, not tech, but your FANG stocks that peaked back in September. It feels as though that's a little bit of that starting to happen. I don't know the data over the past week, month, um, if, if value has gained any ground. but Yeah, there's some movement under the hood. I mean, if... If you talk about if you talk about just this uh, just this week alone, um, you look at <laughs> you look at what what's worked this week. Energy, <laughs> energy up seven point seven percent. Materials, utilities five point seven. Materials five yeah. percent. Yeah, uh, Industrials, financials. So yeah, there's some movement under the hood of the market. I didn't mean to get too off task there from what no, you were no, talking about. For sure. Just mentioning the, the growth versus value rebalance, which is a great point. It yeah. Well, I mean, th- there's some interesting things to, to Biden's plan, which is going to have, have extreme implications for um, you know financial planning. So it's going to be 
the kind of the second coming of the, uh, you know, the, we, we used to joke that the Trump Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was the full employment act for financial advisors. Well, this is probably is more of the same. So Part good news two. for us, I yeah. guess. Um, but, you know, one of the interesting things is that there is a, he's proposing a flat retirement contribution credit as opposed to a deduction uh, for your retirement contribution. So right now, you know, if, if you make an IRA contribution or a 401k contribution, that's a deductible uh, contribution. Let's say it's 401k so that there's no income limit to mm-hmm. it. You're in the 37% bracket. Your effective tax savings is $3,700, right? Um, so if you make a $10,000 uh, 401k contribution, you would save $3,700 in taxes if you're mm-hmm. in the 37% bracket. If you're in a 10% bracket, you only save $1,000 in taxes. So what Biden is proposing is to make that a flat. They're they're speculating that it would be 26%. He hasn't said that, but based on sort of the the tax neutrality of that decision. So in that case, everyone would get, for a $10,000 contribution, the same $2,600 benefit from a tax standpoint. So that's going to create some interesting opportunities. So, you know, if you're currently in a high bracket, those 401k deductions aren't going to be quite as valuable to you. But it, right. it, it does encourage, you know, the lower income brackets to save for retirement, which I think is not a terrible thing. Well, I got a life hack for you guys. If you don't, if you just don't ever make four hundred thousand dollars a year, are life you affected? <laughs> I think it does affect even brackets below that, from what I've seen. But uh, I mean, you don't make four four hundred thousand. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't want to discuss that on the air. You know? <laughs> That's just his uh, fantasy football. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> All right, Casey. Well, thanks. Good information. Is there anything else you want to add before we wrap it up? No, I mean, I think the bottom line is just to try to, to keep some perspective, knowing that, uh, you know, these these changes are not going to take effect immediately after the election. Uh, and so there is definitely some time to plan. Get be with your thinking about it. Absolutely. And there's going to be moving it. parts if Biden does win. Absolutely. Sweep. There's going to be a lot of moving parts. So you want to talk to somebody. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely, Perfect yeah. reason. Another reason to call us. 770-429-9166. All right, guys. Perfect time to take a break. When we come back, we're going to do some listener questions that you've submitted over the past week. The listener Money Talks. We'll be right back. segment time to get into some listener questions as we mentioned uh, in the prior segment if you have questions of your own feel free to reach out to us you can call us at 770-429-9166 if you need personal help if you want to submit a question you can actually leave a voicemail with your question we'll play it on our next show that question hotline number is 1-855-429-9166 or if you prefer just to email in your question again you can email us at dr gene at hensler.com. So I mentioned the audio questions, guys, where a listener can call in and leave a voicemail. That's actually the first question we have, so we'll go ahead and play that and then uh, answer it as best as we can. Hi, my name is Bill. I'm in Alpharetta, and I have a question about something I saw on the Kiplinger website. The title of the article is what you need to know about Social Security in a pandemic and recession. And in that article, there are statements like 
If you are a average earner who will wait to claim Social Security until full retirement age, your benefits will be reduced by about $2,500 a year. And then in the next paragraph it says, even prior to COVID, Social Security is facing funding problems and so forth and so on. It says this is what happens when Social Security is short. Um, I'd never heard of this before. Is there a formula by which they determine the amount by which they're going to cut Social Security uh, payments? Or how do they come up with a $2,500 figure? And um, more generally, how are um, how are reductions calculated if um, Social Security starts to run out of money? Thank you very much. All right. So just in, in short, a uh, listener read an article about uh, what you need to know about Social Security in the pandemic and recession. Kind of mentioned if you're an average earner who wait to claim Social Security until full retirement age, your benefits will be reduced by about $2,500. Uh, even prior to COVID, uh, Social Security, as we all know, uh, there's a shortfall. So um, how does he come up with, you know, how much is going to be cut by, and how did they come up with the number they mentioned? Yeah, and this is this is an interesting question, um, and you kind of have to start with knowing how Social Security is calculated to begin with, which is they effectively take your first 35 uh, or your, your highest 35 years of earnings, and they average those together. And then Social Security replaces 90% of the first $960 in average monthly earnings, 32% of the between $960 and $5,785, and then 15% of earnings above that. Uh, And what Social Security does is they index those earnings, those average earnings, to a national average, which is not, not taken into consideration until the year the worker turns 60. So if you turn 60, in 2020, obviously we've, we're in the middle of a pandemic. The national average earnings is potentially going to be lower, lower, which is going to drag your your the the indexing of your earnings. Even if your earnings weren't reduced because of the pandemic uh, or they the recession, whatever, the, the Social Future Security ones. may potentially be lower because of that. Um, they went through some calculations. It's a little bit complicated how they arrived at the 2,500 number. Uh, that seems like it might be a little bit high. Um, but you know, it, it all depends on kind of how much your average earnings are relative to the national average. Um, but in effect, I mean, that's, it's not wrong. It, there could be some things that, uh, you know, Congress or, or the administration comes in and, and does, some, uh, some things to try to mitigate that or, or maybe push it, say, for instance, maybe only taking the first quarter of earnings into consideration for this year or something to that effect. There was a, a, an opinion piece in the wall street journal, uh, where the author was recommending indexing not to the average national earnings but to inflation or some other measure that would be a little more stable and, and not subject to, to drop, um, you know, like like average earnings. So that's kind of where that's coming from. I mean, as far as funding of Social Security, we all know that's an issue. That is something that's been debated in, uh, in the debates as well as, you know, just in, on the campaign trail what they're going to do. Obviously, President Trump would like to uh, see the payroll tax uh, go away effectively. He's already kind of suspended it for 2020. Um, if that takes effect, that's going to have a dramatic impact on funding Social Security. My guess is they'll figure out a way to, <laughs> to fix it. Uh, I, I can't imagine, at least anytime soon, that they're going to allow the uh, Social Security benefit to, to go away, um, whether that's more stimulus or printing money or what have you, you know, I wouldn't be terribly concerned about that, but it is going to be an issue at some point as the uh, amount of, of 
money in the coffers for social security is depleted. The younger generations for sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I could, I could a hundred percent see them making a change for, you know, those who were born after whatever date. Um, but I feel like if you're within, you know, 10 or 15 years of taking your benefit, you're probably safe. Yeah. All right. Um, our next question, uh, more for you and I, Jacob, research related. Aaron from Kennesaw writes in, is it too late to buy Anthem stock? I was dollar cost averaging money in, but started in June around its last high. I get I'm capturing the lows, but I'm wondering if I should start directing my money into different healthcare stocks. Well, with Anthem, uh, I mean, valuation-wise, we're looking at probably a six-year low relative to earnings. It looks like they're going to be able to deliver on earnings growth in what seems like a, a conservative target for 2020, sure. 16%, looking into the next couple of years, you're getting uh, low teens growth. So to get something at you know roughly 12 times earnings that's going to deliver that amount of growth is Pretty, pretty attractive, attractive. yeah. And, and then if you look, if, if you look at sort of how the fundamentals are shaking out, yes, they're, they're paying more out for coronavirus, but also people are foregoing um, other procedures, so there's uh, less uh, reimbursement on that. Um, they have suffered from some job losses or furloughs on the commercial side, but they're uniquely positioned to capture more Medicare spending as people retire, and they're also one of the the uh, dominant players in Medicaid as well. So I, I think looking at the stock, it, it still looks attractive. I, I wouldn't shy away, especially given where the market sits valuation-wise. There's a lot worse places you could go with your money. Agreed, and you compare it just to some other uh, health insurers, like you look at UNH, United Healthcare. It trades upwards of 18 times earnings, so it trades at a pretty significant discount. Um, and and Anthem's really in, in the healthcare space, best in class. You know, they're number probably two, uh, one or two in share in their 13 markets. So um, yeah, I kind of side with you there. Yeah, it's for the, for those of you out there listening, they're like, what is Anthem? Blue it's Cross, Blue, Blue Cross. Shield. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you're familiar. Right. All right. Next question. And this, this probably will wind us down here, guys, because we can get into it here. Patrick from Roswell. Now that it's the fourth quarter, is there anything I should be doing to get ready for next year? I remember my dad sitting down with the finances and investments every year before the holiday season. He used this time of year to make adjustments. Now that I'm an adult, I'd like to develop the same good habits, but honestly, I have no idea what he tinkered with. And it kind of, in, in, in some way, it goes back to what we discussed earlier with trying to make your whether or not you're trying to forecast what happens with the election, start thinking about the end of the year, the year ahead, the decisions you need to be making, whether that's from an investment standpoint, a planning standpoint, a tax standpoint, you know, it's all interrelated. So maybe you start, you know, harvesting some of your tax loss, you know, harvesting some of your losses for tax purposes. If you have some stocks that are down, maybe you own a bunch of energy stocks. We know energy's gotten crushed this year. Uh, you can offset some of those high flyers you've had um, if you're taking gains in those, a uh, great time to rebalance your portfolio. Yeah. Yeah. These are things that can be done regardless of the outcome of the election and should be done, you know, just to look at where you stand, how things have done this year, um, you know, taking some, some of your losses off the table, even if you don't have gains to offset, you know, those losses, at least presumably can be carried forward into <laughs> right. the future uh, and used to offset future capital gains. So that's not, and you can offset $3,000 of ordinary income with losses this year. So why not do that? Um, you know, put yourself in a better tax position by doing so. Rebalancing your portfolio, we've talked about a lot. 
looking at maybe converting to Roth. You know, this is a year where mandatory withdrawals were suspended. If you didn't take a mandatory withdrawal, uh, or if you have a IRA full of energy stocks that have gotten hammered this year, maybe you can move those over to a Roth and, and, uh, go ahead and, and take advantage when the market corrects or with the, when those energy stocks come back, you, you'll be, get that growth at a, uh, you would have already paid the tax. So, yeah. um, you Great can idea. just kind of push some of that into, uh, into an after tax yeah, or. I, yeah. I don't think there's been a more important year to rebalance than this year. Yeah. So if you're taking in into year losses, you're going to have gains. You're going to have gains. I mean, tech tech itself is up 30% this year. Most folks are going to own an Apple, Amazon, uh, these sorts of stocks. They're up massive this year. And I think it's a good time to take those gains, and you're going to have losses to offset as well. I mean, like you mentioned, energy is down 45% this year. Financial is down 15%. So, sell some tech. Buy some yeah. banks. You might be able to rebalance, put yourself in a better, more diversified position yeah. and not pay much tax on it. So why not do that? Things to be thinking about for the year end. Well, guys, uh been a great show. I think it's going to be another crazy week next week. Up or down, though? I mean, he's healed. We're he ripping. He is healed. He has I risen. Higher, KC. <laughs> Let's go up. Mark it up. Thanks for listening to Money Talks. We'll see you next week. All material presented is from sources believed to be reliable and current, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. The contents are intended for general information purposes only. Information provided should not be the sole basis in making any decision and is not intended to replace the advice of qualified professionals, such as tax consultants, insurance advisor, or attorney. Although this material is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with respect to the subject matter, it may not apply in all situations. This is not to be construed as an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments. It is not our intention to state, indicate, or imply in any manner that current or past results are indicative of future profitability or expectations. Portfolio holdings discussed are subject to change. There is no guarantee that in the future these securities will be held in the Hensler accounts. As with all investments, there are associated inherent risks. Please obtain and review all financial material carefully before investing. Hensler is not licensed to offer or sell insurance products. This overview is not to be construed as an offer to purchase any insurance products.